Hello, my friends. Today we have a special episode with Steve Sponseller, host of the Tech Leader Talk podcast, interviewing Joel. Tune in to hear about how Joel learned to code while recovering from a car accident, top lessons Joel has learned from interviewing hundreds of executives, and how the modern CTO team has started producing podcasts for other companies. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO Podcast. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. Hi, this is Steve, and welcome back to another episode of the Tech Leader Talk Podcast. Today, I'm looking forward to talking with Joel Beasley. Joel is the host of another technology-based podcast called Modern CTO Podcast. He's got over 450 episodes and talked to a lot of fantastic guests. And his podcast has over 75,000 active listeners every week. So I'm excited to talk with him and learn what he's learned from the different tech leaders that he's talked with and what he's learned over the course of uh, several years of running his podcast. Joel's a CTO himself. Uh, he's the current CTO of Leader Bits, which helps train people to be successful leaders. And that company actually grew out of his CTO, modern CTO podcast. So it'll be interesting to hear, hear how that happened and, and how that all fell into place. Uh, Leader Bits has trained over 2,000 leaders in companies around the world. Uh, in his spare time, Joel likes to play the drums and the guitar, and he loves spending time with his wife and daughter. So thanks for joining me today, Joel. Yeah, thank you for having me. And the family's grown since we wrote that bio. So now we've got a wife, a daughter, a son, and another son that will be here in September. Wow. We've been busy. You're, <laughs> you're going to grow exponentially. Yeah, it's making podcasts and babies. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, congratulations. Thank you. I have, I have twin daughters who are both seniors in high school, so we're at kind of a different phase trying to get them out of high school and, and onto their next step in, in college in just a few months. So oh, it's, it's exciting. All the ages are exciting. They're all different. But so you're a CTO and you've created the Modern CTO podcast. How did you get there? What, what led you into technology and how yeah. did you land as a CTO today? So I really got into technology because my dad, super common story, right? Um, the cool thing that he did with technology was he was in the Air Force and they put the GPS systems into B-32 stealth bombers. It was like one of the first planes to get a GPS system. Mm -hmm. And he did that for the Air Force. Um, he then came out of the Air Force and started doing freelancing as companies would get their first computer systems and different things like that. And I had some siblings. And so my mom would say, take one with you. So nights and weekends, I was in different types of offices around different types of technology um, and then I got, I was really interested in it, everything from, you know, Carmen San Diego to writing some basic code and uh, fast forward to about age 12 and I got hit by a car and I was in a wheelchair for about a year. So I came out of school and I, I didn't have to actually like actively go to the school. They just sent like a workbook home with me. But um, the silver lining there is I figured out that I could make money on sites like Scriptlance. They didn't care that I was 12 years old at home you know, laying in bed with broken legs. They just wanted the code written. Uh, so I started making money that way. And then through high school, um, I ended up building some real estate software because my mom was a real estate agent and I would hang out at their office and I'd solve their problems by, you know, just 
they would complain. I would write some software and they'd be happy. And so that worked out pretty well. That ended up becoming a collection of tools that then became a company where I grew engineering teams to teams of teams, so leaders of leaders. So I went through a quick progression from individual contributor, leader of a team, leader of multiple teams, training people to lead teams and multiple teams. And then um, ended up exiting that and built a couple of relationships during that exit and uh, started sharing with some other people about the experiences that <clears throat> eventually became uh, a book I was writing. And then before I was publishing the book, I started reaching out to different CTOs to sort of bounce the advice and the experiences I was having off of them before I published it because I didn't want to look stupid. And uh, those conversations were really fun and I didn't want them to stop. So we turned it into uh, a podcast. Okay. How long ago was that? If you're Five years ago. Years? Five years. Okay. That's good. Sure. You're way past the average uh, podcast that has seven or eight episodes, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So what, I'm curious, when you started the podcast, you said it was because you enjoyed talking with tech people. And that's, that was the motivation behind, behind this one, too. Was your plan then to figure out some kind of another business to develop? Or did that just kind of pop into your head someday after you'd done some episodes and starting to see some patterns maybe among your guests? Yeah. So the reason why I was you know, doing the episode is because I wanted to have conversations, but from a business standpoint. The, the, the driver for doing the podcast is I thought I'd build a lot of relationships and then that would open up more opportunities for me because I didn't have a whole lot of relationships. I just had that like one exit and I knew a handful of business people, but I saw other technology people um, having more success and, and growing faster. And the thing I found that was common between these other people that was um, that I didn't have was a good network of relationships. So then the podcast made a lot of sense. Um, the first we started doing the podcast and then it started to get popular after a couple months of doing it. And, um, I mean, at one point we were doing two, three episodes a day and I was losing my voice and my wife is like, you have to back off because you need to be able to talk to me when you get home. We have to have a relationship. So I backed it down to like one a day for several years and, um, we grew it, grew it like that. Uh, so then it started to get popular. One of the guests came on one day and said, hey, I, you know, I heard the advice that the CTO of NASA or Microsoft gave on, on your show. Um, and I've got you know, 50 leaders spread across 10 countries. And I want them to actually take action on that advice. Can you clip the three-minute thing of him saying that? And we can send it out to my people and they can you know, do something with that. We ended up creating these leadership challenges. Um, I built a small Rails app. I asked him if he would pay for it. He's like, yeah, I'll pay for it. I have a leadership budget. And um, we can we can do that. So I said, all right, well, you're willing to pay for it? Are you willing to sign a contract and pay for it? He said, yes. So we ended up um, you know, doing one pilot challenge and then we ended up signing him up for a year and built him like 50 different challenges, uh, leadership challenges. Basically, leader gives some sort of insight and then we challenge the user to go or the, the participant to actually go implement this advice, like maybe giving credit to your team and you actually will go give credit to your team, but you know you do it in specific steps. And you come back into the system and you say how it went. So then that started to do really, really well. And I ended up raising half a million dollars uh, from the largest VC in Florida called Florida Funders. It's a mm -hmm. great VC. Um, really enjoy them. And then COVID happened. And that part of the business pretty much tanked because nobody needs leadership training to run their business. It's like a luxury. And so when you're faced with making payroll or having leadership training, payroll wins 10 times out of 10, right? 
So that taught me a lot in the business world about designing uh, a model where other businesses are closely dependent on yours to operate and to be successful. Um, so when, when we lost all that revenue right around COVID, and just to be clear, we still have like two or three clients on Leaderbits that just operate it. Um, so it still is out there, but we don't actively have like a sales team around it. Um, but so when COVID happened, we were like, we have to make a change. Uh, we have to change what we do. And at the time people had, we were two years and 200 plus episodes into the podcast and people were constantly asking us to advertise. And we were just telling them no, because we didn't need to, because we had this other way to monetize it. Um, and uh, so we said we created three different sponsorship packages and the rule was there could be no pre-roll, mid-roll or post-roll ads, no interruption to the content. The only thing they could do is pay for to come on because we had a waiting list of like six months. And if you have a product release, you know, you can't wait six months to come on the show. You need to come on now. Yeah. Uh, so we created some sponsorship packages that you know we promote their show more on our so like we run more of their clips on our social networks we give them priority scheduling they can come on whenever's convenient for them and we adjust our schedule accordingly so we created these sponsorship packages did pretty well sold about forty thousand dollars the first month about half a million the first year and a million the next year um, and then people started asking us uh to make them podcasts like the, we had sponsors that kept paying us and then they're like well it's working like we're advertising on your show and it's working can can you make us a podcast so then um we started doing that and now we have about seven eight clients over there where we actually make podcasts for other companies interesting so it's evolved like quite a bit and i just yeah. kind of wake up every day and focus on cash flow and building really great products well it's one of the fundamental business things that you responded to what what your clients and, and what your listeners wanted you know giving yes. giving the little the little sound bites and then turning those into activities they can perform and then as people ask you to do podcasts for them you do that so so do you do all the production and and scheduling and interviewing and everything for these different podcasts yeah so we have about i think 13 14 employees right now okay. and we use our modern cto podcast as like you know we just for us, we already know all the processes because we've been doing it for so many years, right? Yeah. And so we just hire more producers and train them. They come train on the Modern CTO podcast and we start giving them client podcasts after they learn how to operate ours with our standards that that standard stays consistent. Okay. So you've got had a lot of different business experiences and, and the, the path that you followed. If you look back on it now, in hindsight, what would you do differently? So there are a couple different areas. Uh, first one I would do differently. Let's talk about some of my failures, right? Like sure. th this didn't fail. This like pivoted pretty well based off of what I was experiencing, but that's only because I failed like way, like a whole lot before, right? The reason why I had success the first time was because I was really close to the customer. I was close to the end user. I was in the office with my, you know, mom and my stepdad and their, their whole team of real estate agents, like seeing their problems firsthand. I would write some code and I would watch them, see how they use it, see how they messed up, what they intended to happen versus what actually happened, you know, because there are different levels of, of computer users. Obviously, an engineer is different than a real estate agent um, as far as proficiency. But so that was, and I didn't realize that at the time, like that wasn't necessarily intentional. That was just what had happened. And then I thought that company did really well and I sold it, sold my interest in it. And it and that was great for me. 
And so I go, I can do that again, right? So now I'm sitting in the house I built, right? Because I'm not living at home anymore. I took that money, built a house and all that stuff. And I'm sitting in the house I built alone, trying to make the next product. And I work on it for months and months and months, spend all my money. And the product is horrible. Uh, well, the product was, it was great from like, a, it looked pretty and it worked. It was horrible because it didn't solve a problem that was large enough for people to pay money for. That's, that was the difference. That's why I was so clear with that when I was talking about Ben becoming our first customer with the, the leadership company, like we signed contracts first, right? So I made sure that they were actually willing to pay for it. And I've actually seen that mistake happen with a lot of people. They'll create something and like, uh, you know, Steve, if you tell me you're creating something and I like you, I'm like, you know, that's a great idea. And then you have to ask me like, are you willing to pay for it? And then I'd be like, eh, maybe. And then if I said yes, you'd be like, are you willing to pay for it right now? And if it's not a large enough problem for me to give you money before the solution exists, then I wouldn't go into that business. That's just me personally. Like it has to be a large enough problem because customers do that all the time. I see it happen in startups all the time where the companies will contract for the software before it's actually out. Yep. Yeah. That's a good indicator. Will they pull out their wallet and plunk down some money? Yeah. Yeah. That would have saved me a lot, a lot of pain. (laughs) Human wise, uh, we can talk about that if you want. Like, yeah. Do you want me to go back to like from engineer to end, like from individual contributor to team lead? Or do you want me to go from like not having employees to having employees as like the, the employee growth, the latter, the employee growth, like employee be, growth. Be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I wish I would have learned how to fire people better and how to hire people better. And if you're doing a really good job at hiring, you don't have to do as much firing, but it's really different when it's your own money. Um, and the options are get the right people together or be broke. Uh, so that takes it to a whole other level. I'd say I burnt through a lot of my savings, not firing people. And then that should have been gone. And then it got to the point where I had no choice. And I sort of developed that skill. Um, another thing I developed that helped me a lot was perspective. And I mean, I say I developed, but like, I gained experience with that. I was always like researching and like reading other people's stuff. Um, and one of the th- things is this perspective of letting someone go. So like, let's imagine you have somebody, let's say we got to get specific with this scenario. Let's say I hire somebody and I think they're going to be good at the job because of A, B, and C. And then they come into the job and they're not performing well at all because of this other thing I didn't even see happening, Right. In that case, I would, and, and let's say it's a, it's a non-starter, like it's an absolute requirement. I just didn't identify it and this is just not going to work. I would let that person go and I would take ownership of that. I'd be like, it's my mistake. I hired the, you know, for the wrong role and, um, and I would let them go. Uh, another thing I learned with letting people go too um, is uh, be very short and basically say today is going to be the last day at, your, at the company. Um, the reason is, is because at first I was making this mistake, Steve, of like, I would, I'm a storyteller. I like to tell stories, right? And so I would bring people into my office and I'd be like, tell them this whole story of like how I thought, like this, this whole thing. And they're sitting there thinking they're consuming some sort of story, you know, with the boss or whatever. And then they're, they kind of were like, hey, wait, am I, are you letting me go? Because you're making all these points that like lead to me going. And, and so I saw that happen a couple of times and I, started talking to other people 
about how to avoid that. And I found that if you just say, uh, today's going to be the last day at the company. And then the other thing I learned is uh, they'll either yell at you um, and get like really upset, uh, which is normal human reaction, or the, they'll be nice and leave, which is the rarest. And then the, I'd say the most common is they want to dig into it. Well, what exactly? And so I learned, do not dig into it. Like set up, say, you know, find some sort of line to say that basically lets the conversation end so that they can go take care of their life and don't get into like a specific tit for tat type deal. And they'll try to like lure you into that because they want to know, but then just say, you know, we'll talk about it. We, we can set up a meeting next week and go over it. But right now I'm going to, you know, get your paperwork processed and let you take care of your stuff because you don't want to engage them in that moment because that's the moment where it's like the emotions are the highest. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Okay. This is all my personal stuff, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> it's just my experience, you know, and yeah. That's good. I have heard similar approaches from other people. So I think that that seems to be a, a strong approach. Yes. So the leader bits company was kind of created based on some of the the trends or the the habits you saw across multiple guests. What are some of those most common habits you see of successful leaders uh, in the tech world? The commonalities. Yeah. Um they really care about their people like in a genuine way, not like in a I think I should care about my people way. Like they actually care. They're consistently improving and looking for ways to have an edge. They're usually people of above average discipline almost always and they're all people you would admire you know and i'm talking about like the top one percent of the top one percent that's how i try to because i talk to great leaders every day so i've i kind of got past the what makes a a great leader and then i got into like the what makes the like backflip exceptional the best leaders of the best leader and looking for for sort of those principles um and they just have a lot of experience and they're really great people. And I don't really know how, how to go a whole lot deeper than that, but they're trying and they care. They make you feel heard. They're respectful of you. They're intelligent. They understand their market that they're operating in. Um, they understand how the dollars, uh, like how everything connects back to revenue. So I call it like hops from revenue. So like if I'm an engineer and I'm making a backup module, uh, right. And it's like, uh, maybe it's going to make like recurring backup of the database or something. Um, and I walk up to that engineer and I'm like, Hey, you know, how does this connect to revenue? Uh, most, most of them won't have an answer for you. Um, but if you talk to some of these great leaders, uh, about how things connect to revenue within their organization, it's super, super clear. And then they're able to prioritize projects and things that actually, help the company achieve its revenue goals and that creates a more stable company. Um, so yeah, that, that is one skill that I've seen at like the top, top tier of leaders. You mentioned that, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of the top leaders truly care about their, their team, their employees and team members. So, so the, what I was wondering is of these leaders who are so good with uh, making their employees feel wanted and valuable, how do they do that? What are some examples of some people you talked with that, that were really good at that? So one of the ways they do it, I hope this answers your question, but one of the ways that, that they do it is um, they make sure that there's a good pairing between the drive of the individual and the needs of the company. 
So mm-hmm. if I have certain, like they understand the motivations in their team's lives. Like what is driving this person? Do they just have kids and they want to provide for their kids? Are they 20 in their you know early 20s maybe? Or they really love travel and what they want to do is finance their travel habit? Like what is driving this person? And what does the company need? And if those two things are in line, that's a really great sign. So awareness of that. Uh, another thing I've seen is they have you know exceptional ability for emotional intelligence to understand, I guess what I would call the energy of the team. Is the team up? Is the team down? And then they'll have tools to actually, you know, boost morale. Um, or if things are like really crazy, they can sort of uh, level it out uh, with some focus on some work. So they'll understand the energy of a team and be able to raise that or lower that as as they need. And yeah, those are those are two things that that come to mind that I've seen. And one of the things that I like about this, the reason I'm able to talk about this stuff without a lot of preparation, is because I over the course of these five years, I've had pro- I've been experiencing enormous amounts of problems, and I talk about those problems with the guests who are like way more experienced than me. And then they give I get different solutions. So I'll like ask you know four or five different top people how to handle this, and then I'll go like experiment with it. And then I'll just take away my experience of like what worked the best for me. Interesting. So your podcast guests kind of be part of a, a board of advisors or something kind of for yeah, you. Or that is exactly it. Okay. Yep. That's interesting. Yep. So if a listener today is, is somebody who's in a leadership position, but maybe they're fairly young or, or new to it, not necessarily young age-wise, how do they start? Improving, or how do they kind of maybe evaluate where they're at and yeah. figure out how they can can get better and become one of those exceptional leaders that you've talked about? Uh, I'd say to start, uh, well, so like let's define leadership. Uh, there's so many ways, but my favorite is John Maxwell's leadership is influence. And a lot of people think influence in a negative way, or at least I did at first when I heard it, but really it's just being valuable to other people, right? How are, how are you being you know valuable to to other people? So you should ask yourself that: How am I useful to this team? Leaders to be a leader, there's two types of leaders. There's the people that you want to follow, and there's the people that you have to follow <laughs> because they've got the title, right? And so you want to become one of the pers- the people that you want to follow. Everyone listening already knows there's a person in their circle of friends. And they might be that person, but there's a person in the circle of friends everybody kind of like looks to. When, when humans start to group, natural leaders just emerge. Um, and so being aware of what the team needs, uh, how you can become more valuable to that team. And one basic way, if you're an individual contributor, that you can that you can do that is you can literally go to your manager and say, you know, what, what could I be doing to become more valuable to the team? And most often they're going to brush it off at first. I, I don't know, do your job because you typically catch them off guard. And then what you should do is you should dig a little bit deeper to figure out what that thing is that you can work on. Give them some suggestions. Could I be better at communication? Is there a time where like I let you down? Or like you know, try to figure out what it is that you can be working on. And then uh, I'd say a lot of people can do that. A lot of people don't do the next part which is actually like go do get better at that, <laughs> read books, uh, reach out yeah. to people, find mentors and actually actively become better at that. And then the, the few people who do that don't do the last part. So a lot of people that get through 
Hey, what can I do to become more valuable? Okay, communication. All right, I'm going to go learn how to become better at communication. Okay, I did that. And a lot of people stop there and they don't do the third thing, which is actually going back, making sure that that person that gave you that insight of how you can improve understands that you're on this journey and and hears updates about it. So the way it would roll out for me is if it was communication, I would go back and I'd read a book on communication. Then I'd send them an email or something or talk about it in my one-on-one. Hey, I read this book on communication. I learned A, B, and C. And then I would just keep keep doing that and just keep improving and then um, share what my experiences are on, you know, things I tried from the books that didn't work, that did work, ask them some questions. And just basically what you're doing is you're showing them that you care and that, you know, you want to be there and you want to grow and improve. And just by doing that, welcome to the 1%. It does not take much. I was just going to say that in the organizations I've worked in as an employee and the ones that I work with that are clients, um, that's a, a rare person that does all three. And it's, it's not that difficult. And you will improve. You're improving yourself, whether it's for that job or something in the future. But yeah, by doing that, you really can set yourself apart and and learn. And hopefully, if if you move up into more leadership, you you're modeling that then for other people in the organization to maybe do the same thing and yes. make a stronger team. Yes, right? absolutely. What uh, there's a lot of changes, <laughs> obviously, with COVID, and remote work has has become even more popular. It was already an issue with in a lot of tech companies distributed around the world. But how have you seen that that's had to, that leaders have had to adjust or make changes uh, to handle remote workers in in a tech environment? So I found that when all this was happening, we had the show going right. So I got to talk to like the CTO Ford as they were converting their plant to make the generators or what, what were they called? Like the heart respirator things? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Some medical yeah. device. The ventilators. Yeah. Thank you. See, that's why Adam's here. So I got to talk to like them and then I talked to people about um, you know, what their companies were experiencing. And there was a couple things that I heard. The first thing I heard was in technology, we're already accustomed to working remote. So it wasn't a big stress. Often the CTO became a source that the whole company leaned on to be like, how do we get our other departments remote? Like you've got some percentage of your workforce remote or you've had experience. It's really common in technology to have experience working remote. So sales was going to the CTO, like, how do we get this to happen? You know, or HR or whatever the department was trying to figure out how to get it to happen. So I would say strategically, the CTO was more useful in that, that scenario if they having the remote work experience. And the other thing I saw was then the amount of work that came from that, uh, the the new laptops, the issuing of devices and all that work, security work that came from it, making sure people's, you know, security is up and up on their home devices. And uh, a lot of, a lot of work came out of getting the whole company to be able to do their functions remotely and so those are the those are the two areas that I saw that that I heard like repeated a lot across you know basically every interview that year people wanted to talk about COVID. Of course, yes. it was the the topic. Yes. So, what's your biggest challenge right now in your business? So right now, we'd say the sponsorship business is sort of capped out. You can only do so many sponsored episodes, and we're selling them all. Right. So we're we're doing well there. That's like our base foundation. Building podcasts for other companies is doing well. We just got through the first 
you know, seven, eight of them and learned the processes and developed all that. And now we are getting, um, we're at the point where salespeople, like hiring more salespeople. So that's like one of the things that I'm, I'm focused on a whole lot. The, the state of the company now is really great because it took a painstaking four or five years to get the right people in place. So, you know, like Chloe, our head of sales and Adam, our head of production, like I'd say the company really started with, there, there was many people there before them, but those two people had these core attributes that I could build on top of. And it took me a while to sort of like realize that the people make the numbers in the sense, right? Like you have to have really, really great people that are doing things that they love and in line with what they want to do long-term and they should be like, I love this job. I can't believe I get paid to do it, right? If you can make that happen, that's magical. So yeah. they're, they're rare people. And so, you know, I do a lot of interviews these days, right? Of, of finding different people because they have to be that really great, awesome person in every single department at the company. And because of that, it just takes a little bit longer to, to grow the company, to find the right people. Um, and right now, you know, we are dealing with the inflation concept. So uh, people are competitive, right? And there are companies that have billions of dollars of cash on hand and they can inflate the base salaries as much as they, they want where we, we cannot. Um, so you know, what we're doing, I'm, I'm conservative. And what, what we're doing is we're building a company that, that will last. So we, we gave an inflation raise and everything last year. And, but we're not like blowing things out of the water, paying ridiculous amounts because we have to have these people now. We're like, we'll just let the business grow at this pace because what will happen in an inflationary period, if you follow like Ray Dalio, is there's always deflationary, deleveraging, right? Deflationary period, and which we'll enter at some point. And then what happens is people get laid off because they're too expensive and they get rehired for less money. And the market sort of floods with people and businesses go out of business and you know all that type of stuff happens. So I've been really clear with the team and, our, and, and over-communicating, which is a core principle of ours, uh, with the team that this is what's happening in the economy and this is how we're going to navigate through the next you know two or three years as these cycles play out. And we're designing all of our cost structure. I, we save money as a company and we design everything to, to provide like the most stability possible while also being able to take a portion of that cash and, and make, you know, kind of crazy bets, right? But they're not, as Jeff Bezos says, like bet the company bets. Uh, they are like calculated risk bets. Interesting. That is a interesting situation that we're in. All companies are in today trying to you know, find their find the right people, retain them. And it yes. sounds like you have a, a good approach there. Yeah, without breaking the bank or giving them a salary that you're going to have to have to cut or just lay them off when things hopefully normalize someday. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, this, this one, this one uh, girl, Mary Beth Westmoreland, she's one of my favorite um, CTOs I've spoken to. She said something that has just stuck with me forever. And it is um, don't shop hungry in reference to hiring. It's like you go to the grocery store and you're hungry, you get a bunch of junk food. Well, yep. if you go hiring and you're hungry, you're going to get a bunch of junk food. You have to do it like very, you have a really good team of people make that the bar and then just go about your process and make sure people match and don't just hire somebody because you have to hire somebody to get to, to fill your quota. Yeah. 
Yeah. And if you need to reprioritize or slow down some activities with to meet with the staff, meet the oh absolutely what the staff yeah. can do. You, that's that's the smartest probably long term play. Yes, okay. and because you're a like professional development tech leader type podcast, uh, is it cool if I share my favorite leadership quote? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so this was a big turning point in my life when I heard this. I was like at a really low point, and then uh, the next day I had I flipped on YouTube. And this guy from like 1970s, like he's not alive anymore, but he was a motivational type speaker, business speaker. His name was Jim Rohn. And he Mm -hmm. said, uh, the most frustrating thing in the world is expecting above average results without being an above average person. And I was like, whoa, because at the time I was expecting Zuckerberg results and I was not being (laughs) a next level person. You know, I was being average or below average in my habits and my routines and my health and my effort I put in. And, you know, people will say often when I'm out, you know, before COVID, when I was doing a lot of speaking at conferences and such, people ask me, oh, what's, what's the one thing I can do to become a better leader? I usually say, go to the gym, like go develop, go work out, get your health up and then get your discipline up because your discipline, it, you know, it's, it's not like segmented, like your discipline bleeds through all areas of your life, right? So you can find an area of your life that you don't have discipline and you can raise it there and it's going to raise your discipline everywhere. Things like, you know, not cutting corners or being consistent with improving that communication because consistency is the, is the thing. It like, everybody knows how to lose weight, right? Everybody knows all of these things, but nobody, the hard thing to do is do it consistently. It's not really a knowledge problem. It's a discipline and consistency problem. Right. And so when you realize that that's the difference between below average, average, and greatness is their ability to be consistent, then you've, you've figured out the one thing you can hammer on in order to rise up quickly. That's that's great advice. I've listened to quite a few things from Jim Brown. He's a fantastic speaker. He's he's got books full of great quotes (laughs) to live by. That's how I learned sales, by the way. That's how I learned yeah. how to do sales because I only learned sales in the past five years. All my businesses before, I was just the, the tech guy who built the product and built the teams. Mm-hmm. I had a business partner. So this is the first time that like I've done the business part of it. So that's where I learned okay. sales because I didn't have any like a whole lot of money at the time <laughs> to go spend on like expensive sales training. But YouTube had old 1970s, 80s videos of Jim Rohn giving sales training. And I just... He was talking about selling vacuums door to door. That's how mm-hmm. I learned how to do sales. <laughs> yep. Yep. He's got some great stories. Yeah. Well, we're kind of coming up on our, on our time for this episode. And I just want to thank you for coming on. You shared some, some fantastic uh, information for everyone. What's the best way for listeners to either get in touch with you or, or learn more about you if, if they want to? Obviously, I'll have a link to your, to your podcast yeah. in the show notes, but how else uh, could they reach out to you? Yeah. So if you just type into Google Modern CTO, come up, there's a book and, and another book coming soon. And then okay. in the podcast app, if you just type CTO or the, or the top result, um, basically a yellow background, and you'll see a bearded guy. <laughs> it's COVID beard, uh, but it's continued after. So that's it. And if you, if you want to, um, you can also hit me up on LinkedIn as well. Okay. All right. I'll get all those uh, show notes or all those links in the show notes so people can find that easily. So thanks again. It's, it was great. I didn't mention at the very beginning that I've had a few other guests on who are 
podcast hosts themselves and some became podcast hosts after they were guests here. But you're definitely the one who's who's got uh, quite the following and quite the making the impact. And and it was a pleasure to have you on and to learn from you and, and the leadership things that you've seen both in your own business uh, as well as the guests that you've interviewed. That's it's valuable to me and I know it's valuable to listeners. So I'm glad you could take the time to talk with me today. Thank you for the kind words, Steve. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you would like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.